Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Vineyard. We're so glad you're with us. Uh, we're going to continue on in a series we're doing called From Nothing to Something. And the idea for this series came from a verse in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 10, where Peter says, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We've gone from nothing to something. And we have worked our way through the first chapter of 1 Peter uh, over the last eight weeks. Uh, and we've talked about um, living hope, which was the theme of chapter 1, uh, greatly rejoicing, salvation, loving Jesus as our highest priority. We've talked about grace. We've talked about being holy. We've talked about redemption. We, we've talked about loving well. We've talked about regeneration. A lot of topics uh, in the first week, uh, eight weeks of that series. And today, as we move into chapter 2, we're going to talk about growing up in our spiritual life. And so Peter's going to take all these amazing things that we've been talking about, and he's going to start saying, now because of all these things, here's some things that you, you need to start have happening in your life. So that's where we're headed today. That's the intro. Transition, there's always a bad joke or two. Both of these came from Alexa, which is now my go-to joke person, if you don't know about Alexa, somebody gave me this thing called an Echo Dot for Christmas, and you just ask it to tell you jokes, and <laughs> it does. It's like, what a time saver. But these are the jokes that you get. What do you call a person with no body and just a nose? Nobody knows. No, nobody knows. There are two types of people in this world. Those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. Let's move into the scripture reading. <laughs> Wait, the funniest part was whoever just had it explained to them. <laughs> and the other, and you. Oh, good. <laughs> scripture reading. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I want to talk about those three verses today with you. I want to start here with point number one, with that, the end of that last verse. Uh, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. First Peter 2, 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this is an interesting little chunk of scripture because in, in verse 1, there's a therefore. Remember, I've, if you've been here before, you've heard me say this. Anytime you read a therefore... You need to figure out what it's there for. Very good. And it's there for chapter 1. So because of all these amazing things, Peter says, and all these blessings and all these benefits because of those things, uh, and then he, at the very end now in, in, in verse 3 of those two verses, there's this now that you have tasted the Lord is good. So the therefore and the now that you have tasted sort of act like bookends to... Um, these, these two verses that we're going to talk about in, in just a moment. But the idea from both of those things is because the Lord is good, here's some things that, that need to be happening in your life. And so since we've tasted, he's saying, and experienced, and we understand 
that the Lord is good, we need to continue to grow in Him and to press on in Him. The Lord is good. Again, just think of the amazing benefits that we've even talked about here in the, in the first chapter. This, uh, you know, the hope was such a living hope, a hope that's alive, that's, that, that's life-changing. Um, you know, that, that we can rejoice, uh, that, that we have and experience the joy of the Lord, a, a settledness beyond circumstance that we have in Him. We, we've talked about love, you know, this, this amazing, unconditional love that God has for us and that, that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're extending into the world around us. And uh, we, we talked about how amazing salvation is. You know, we've, we've been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. Justification, sanctification, glorification. We, we talked about redemption and, and, you know, the ransom that was paid for us and uh, uh, being regenerated, you know, this new life that we have. The Lord is so good. And beyond that, and I think this is important, um, you, you have to know that this life that we have in Him, in Christ, is full and abundant. It's absolutely the best life available in the universe. There's, there's nothing better than life in Christ. No matter what we go through, and, and I get here in a fallen world on a broken planet, sometimes life is hard, and I understand those things. But because we're in Christ... There is no better life available. When you have found life in Christ, you've found absolutely the best thing that, that you will ever find in your life. And one of the most amazing things that I think is important for us to understand, even as we talk about all these amazing benefits and, and what it looks like, is that Jesus um, liked to have fun. And I don't think, if you don't have that sort of idea about who Jesus is, then, then the fullness of this life can be lost uh, very quickly into a um, sort of very difficult pattern of um, ha thinking you have to earn everything and trying to perform in life. And, and it loses its luster. It loses this quality uh, because when I tell you this is the best life available, I mean it in every sense of there's nothing that competes with There's nothing better. The enemy has nothing better to offer you. There's nothing better out there than this life. And Jesus liked to have fun. When you read the Gospels, it becomes very evident that, that he was fun. And, and he, he was so much fun that people were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. And, and throughout the Gospels, we got Jesus going to parties. And not everybody thinks of Jesus that way. But, but in um, Mark, Luke, and John, those three Gospels, in the first two chapters, Jesus is at parties, and he's also at parties in the Gospel of Matthew. They just, uh, Matthew introduces them a little later. Celebrations, full-on joyous occasions where people were together enjoying one another and enjoying life and celebrating life together. And Jesus at these parties seemed to have such a good time that the established religious community um, sort of wrote him off as a glutton and a drunkard. That, that's, what they, that's how they sort of describe God. Fully God, fully man, enjoying life, having life. Luke 7, 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Be, because he was enjoying life. See, see, Jesus, right? Fully God, fully man. He loves people. He loved everybody. 
he, he liked being around people. He, he got it that, that you know, th that was the, the whole deal. It's why we're here is because he, he, he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. And when he came in the flesh, that was just natural to him. It was, he wanted to be around other people. And he was so amazing um, that, that people were drawn to him. And it's not because of the way he looked or anything else. It was just this, this life that radiated out of him that people were drawn to because he was a model of life and he's enjoying life to the fullest and what it looks like. And, and, and he loved people. And so all around him were people. There were people that nobody else would hang out with, the tax collectors, the worst of the worst. And then there was your regular group of sinners. I don't even know, you know, but I, I tell you that they used to label some worse than others. And we've talked about why, but, and Jesus would hang around them. The, the religious people were there. They always were hanging around. They complained the whole time, <laughs> but they were drawn to him too. And so here's all these people hanging out with Jesus, and they loved to be around him, and Jesus enjoyed being there. It was, it was fun. Those events were so attractive because they were fun. Huge crowds gathered around Jesus, not only because of all he was doing, because they wanted to be there. It was, it was life. It was, it, there was something exciting about it, and they were drawn to it. And so Jesus enjoyed people, and he enjoyed life, and he had fun. And yet somehow... Uh, into the sort of church over time has, has this, for a lot of people, this underlying idea that, that it's, it's really not fun or it's not supposed to be fun or you're supposed to take it really serious and everybody's supposed to be very somber and because it's, and, and it's a twist because, again, this is such an amazing life that when we're living it rightly, people are drawn to it. That's, that's how it should work. So, so there should be that in context. Uh, that, that, you know, this should be an attractive life. When people are getting together and loving Jesus and experiencing Him, there should be something radiating in that community that's making people come in to check it out, if nothing else, because there's something going on. And, and what we realize is that this is the best life that there is. Now, in, in Jesus' time, there was another group of people hanging out who unfortunately weren't enjoying life the way that Jesus and his disciples were. And it was, it was a, a good folks. It was John the Baptist and his disciples. And they had a different sort of perspective. And I want to tell you why. So in Mark 2, 15 through 18, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, big party, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? The difference in these sets of disciples was so apparent that, that people wanted to ask Jesus about it. Why is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus, why is it that your disciples are feasting and everybody else's disciples are fasting? It's a great question. And Jesus, you know what Jesus says to him? He says, listen, uh, wedding guests don't fast while they're celebrating with the groom. Celebrating with the groom. You know who our groom is, right? And we're his bride. And, and there's something different in the perspective. See, at the heart of the difference between the disciples of Jesus 
and the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees is the way that they're looking at things. John the Baptist stresses the importance of repentance because of the coming judgment and punishment of God. Jesus' message, while it certainly includes the importance of repentance and the need for repentance in our lives, but it includes the need for rejoicing and celebrating that God was good and was making a way for the lost to be reunited in relationship to him. The kingdom of God was coming, which was good news for all who believed. Uh, and so Jesus' message was to turn from the old way of doing things, fix your eyes on him, and follow him into the eternal kingdom of God where they'll be rejoicing and celebrating. And so we're to be rejoicing and celebrating. He's made a way for us to be with him forever. Our eternal life has started at the moment that we came to him, we're waiting for his return. But while we're waiting, we're, we're to live in this understanding that he's already with us and for us and will be forever. And that, that we're to live this life like he did. He, he enjoyed people. He enjoyed life. And there was something about him that, that drew people to him but into the kingdom, see? And, and he wants us to live that way. And so, so that happens because we've tasted that he's good. We've, we've we experienced it. We've already experienced it for ourselves. The Lord is good. So because of that, secondly, we need to live by, you've never heard this before, doing the next right thing. Live by doing the next right thing. I say that sarcastic because I say that all the time. But here's what he says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that's because of everything in chapter 1, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, it's interesting that all those forms of sin, if you would, deal with that which is untrue. Sin is always deceitful and untrue. God is the source of all truth. The evil one is the source of untruth. And from the time that the evil one tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, the evil one has shared lies and deceptions and half-truths with mankind. And so if we're to enjoy the, the life of truth and love and fullness, what Peter says is we need to cast off evil. We, we need to, to not do the untruthful any longer. We, we need to do the right thing, the truthful thing, the God thing in our lives. And the way that God liberates us from those evil desires is to give us this vivid image of the goodness of the Lord. To, to let us understand that this is a, the best life available. This is a full and abundant life. This is a, a joyous life. We don't, the enemy has nothing to offer us where we think, oh, those people are having so much fun. Listen, when you've got this thing, when you've got Jesus, when you're in this life, there's nothing that compares to it. Nothing. You, you don't lose a thing when you sort of move away from some of that mess out there. But it doesn't mean that you can't still love people and enjoy people and hang out with people and be a part of the whole deal. You've just, if you've come to Christ, you've found the better thing. And so, so we have this going on, and, and, um, and so we, we tasted of his goodness, and, and we can see what he's done in our lives, and what he's doing in our lives, and what he's promised to do in our lives. And so the, the closer that we come to him, and as we continue to move into him, he replaces our desires, all those old things, with his. And, and we want to do the next right thing. It's not rule following. It's not miserable. It's not, there's no fun in this. It's, it's this amazing life. That we have to live in front of people so they can see it. I'm, I'm sure I've told you this before, but I didn't grow up as a believer. Um, and I don't remember as a child going to church uh, ever. I, there's a picture of me going at some point in time, but I have no recollection of church in my entire life. Um, we didn't go. 
And I started sort of vaguely hearing about the gospel at 18, kind of pushed it aside at 19. I had somebody present the gospel to me um, and, and did a very good job with it. And it was at a, the right, perfect time that stuck with me. But when the time came for me to go, okay, I'm in, do you know what stopped me was I just couldn't see how they had any fun. This was a nice guy and everything, but I'm like, how do you have, what is, it doesn't, how do you, I don't get what fun looks like. <laughs> and I didn't, there was no modeling for me. So I was like, yeah, no. And I, I you know, and it's, it's six, another six years went by of me going out and having fake fun, which wasn't fun at all, looking for fun until it sort of came around again and I had another opportunity. And then it was like, I get it. But, but if we're modeling this life for people, they can see, oh, that is a better life. There's something to it. It's not just a bunch of a rule following and misery and, oh, I got to show up. You know, it's, there's something about it. There's something that's good. There's, there's something that we want to do. See, so, so we do the next right thing. See, my hope is when, when we hear and we do all the things that we do, and we're having meals and we're doing all that stuff and we're having fun together and we're going out and doing things together, that, that your thought is, oh, it's the weekend, I got to go to church. I don't want anybody to feel like that. What I want is, it's, I couldn't hardly wait. I was looking forward to the weekend all week. You know, it's, it's here, we get to get together because it's fun. There's something about it that's life-giving. So we need to be like that. We live doing the next right thing. Third, and we need His Word to grow. We need His Word. 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We talked a lot about salvation. We talked about being regenerated by the Word. Um, but, but spiritual milk is a reference to the Word of God. 1 Peter 2, 2 in the New American Standard says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So, so last week we talked about being regenerated. The verse was 1 Peter 1, 23. You've been born again, regenerated, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So since you've been born again or regenerated by the word of God, now what Peter says is we need to crave, this is the second, second part of 1 Peter 2, pure spiritual milk. We need to crave the word of God. Since your life began with the word, you, you need to continue this life with him in the Word. And, and so Peter says we're to crave or desire or long for the Word of God. Now here's the thing. If you don't have a craving or a desire or the longing for the Word, you need to get one. This is not just a suggestion from Peter. It's, it's much more phrased in the way of a command. You need to have a craving for the Word of God. Uh, and, and, and so a, a, a craving in this sense that he's talking about isn't sort of a desire. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's an act of the will. It's a, it's a, we, we choose to decide what's right and to let go of what isn't. And, and so Peter is, is sort of an issuing, he's issuing a command for us to desire the word. And, and if we don't have a desire for the word, it's on us. Uh, and he continues on in 1 Peter 2, 2, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So, so the reality is if we're not spending time in the Word of God, we're not going to grow in our spiritual life. And when we understand that, it causes us to want to spend time in the Word. It, it causes us to want to pick up the book and open it. Um, and, and you need it. You, you need to spend time in His Word. Hebrews 4, 12. The writer of Hebrews says, the Word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So when we spend time in His Word, the Spirit is at work in us, and He's gradually conforming us to be more and more like Jesus in the way that we live. He uses the Bible, uh, the Word of God. And, and the Bible, it says, is sharper than any double-edged sword. So it cuts away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. That, that's what I think. That's when I read that. That's why that's cool, right? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to cut away from us anything that doesn't look like Jesus. What, what a great thing that He's pointing that out and He's getting rid of it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we're put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. Through the Word, we're put together and shaped for the task He has for us. It's such a great verse that, you know, that's what He's doing. He's shaping us and putting us together by the Word. The, the Word prepares us to experience this full and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And so, this is one of those pastoral moments that, that I, I, I cherish. I want to exhort you again, if you're not spending some sort of consistent, quality time in the Bible you got to start. It's, it's imperative to experience this life in the way that we're supposed to, the best life available, that, that, that it's amazing, you know, the benefits that we've already got, and the Spirit uh, is dwelling in us, um, and yet, uh, you know, we need to have a desire to spend time in this book, to read the Word. And we face so many distractions. We, we face so many things that compete with that. That it's so easy not to do it. And I want to tell you again, carve out some time in your daily life. Look, you know, if you can carve out huge chunks, great. But the reality is uh, five minutes will change your life if you do it every day. Five minutes. Five minutes of, of consistent Bible time every day will change things for you. And and start there. Start. Everybody should be doing that. It should just be a part of your... and And... Listen, the, your desire should be such that when you don't do it, you miss it. Because it'll happen. I mean, we live in a... If, and you, you think, I miss it. And that's what you ask God for. God, give me that. because I, And I'm going to start. And, and I'm going to start reading it. And, you know, I, I would tell you, as someone who reads, um, there are days when I don't always feel like it. But I'm always glad that I do. It, it, you know, it's it's... And then there's... Then there's lots of days where I really do feel like it, and I'm so glad that I have it. But every now and again, i got to power through. But, but if I don't, I miss it. And so I want to encourage you again. Be careful of all the distractions. And remember that if we don't have a desire, if we're being distracted, a lot of times it's because we have a very real enemy who doesn't want you to grow and enjoy life. He doesn't want you to experience all that you can. He wants to keep you away from it. And so every time you sit down to read the Bible, the phone will ring or someone will come over. And I'm not saying you need to walk up and go, the devil sent you, but <laughs> is this the devil? Stop calling me when I'm trying to read the Bible. Don't say that. <laughs> but but if, you're, if, you're, if you're trying and you find that you're coming against things, push through it. Okay, whatever, I can deal with that, but I'm coming back. I'm going to get this time in. I am going to spend a few minutes in the Word. And, and uh, I think sometimes that helps, the realization that I have an enemy who's trying to steal that from me. I'm not going to let him have it. He took enough. He's, he's had too much. It's like, no more. I'm going to, you're not taking this. 
And so spend time. Read his book. It's a great book. There's, there's no other book like this. This is the only book that will speak to you and change you all the time. It's alive. It, you can read it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I know because I have. And you get something different every time. The Spirit of God opens something up to you every time. It's amazing. I don't know where to read. Read the Proverbs. That'll help you live right. Do you know how many chapters there are in Proverbs? Same as the number of days in a month. Read one a day. Start with that. That'll get you five minutes right there. And then branch out. There's all sorts of Bible reading plans, but start somewhere. What today is the fourth? Wake up in the morning and read Proverbs chapter 5. Done. And then wake up the next day and read Proverbs chapter 6. And then let it grow from there. But start somewhere. It's that important, okay? And just stick with it. Five minutes, read it until you've read it. And read it again and keep reading it. That's where life is, and he continues to use it to change us. All right, I'm ending there. Uh, if you're watching my video, thanks for doing that. And we appreciate you. Uh, if you need prayer, go to the uh, website. There's a prayer page, and you can put your prayer request in, and we'll pray for you. Come and visit us when you can. We'd love to see you soon, and we're going to say goodbye.